Welcome to the Sprint to Profit podcast with Kirsty and Isaac. If you are an Amazon seller looking to grow your business with some of the latest tactics and strategies, along with some great guidance for your overall business, then you are in the right place. So pay attention and if needed, take notes. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Sprint to Profit podcast. This podcast was developed by and for Amazon sellers to give you the latest strategies that are working right now to grow your Amazon business profitably, as well as how to plan for future growth and lifestyle. So if you're currently selling on Amazon or looking to get started in selling private label products on Amazon, then you're in the right place to learn more about the ins and outs of the processes and strategies it takes to develop a long-term sustainable business that brings you income month after month and year after year. And today we have a very special guest with us, and I've actually grown out a little of my beard so we can have a beard uh, competition today. So I didn't shave for just this podcast purpose. <laughs> oh, you should have told me and I'd have kept mine going as well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If you haven't guessed by now, in this episode, we're going to be speaking with Norm Farrar, aka The Beard Guy, who has oodles and oodles of experience in marketing right from the 80s and even got into e-commerce in the 90s when most of us were still kind of figure out what this internet thing was, right? So he's an absolute veteran. He's an active Amazon seller. He's also the founder of many different businesses. I'll rattle a few off here. Some of you may have worked with him in the past as well, but just so you understand the breadth of what Norm actually focuses on. He's the founder of PR Reach, the founder of amz.club, AMZ and beyond, the Chad Agency, a partner in Sponsored Profit, and you guys obviously know who they are now because we've had the, those guys on quite a few times on our podcast, and also the founder of Onu Worldwide. I don't know, Norm, if I've probably missed something, but I'm sure you can fill us in. And these are companies that really focus either on Amazon specifically or solutions and building your brand and reputation specifically online as well. He's very well known in the industry. He's, you've probably seen him on stage at major conferences or just hanging out with everyone at the, <laughs> at the conference. Um, also on podcasts as well. Unfortunately, you're grounded a little bit at the moment, I think, Norm. So that's probably giving you a little bit of itchy feet, I think. Um, and he's an, even has his own podcast. He's a busy guy, but he's graciously agreed to spread some knowledge today with us by telling us his 10 ways to reduce sourcing costs. And of course, in the, in the process, increase your profits. So welcome, Norm. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And you're in Canada as well, right? So you're just up the road in Toronto. Yeah, two hours north of Toronto up on Lake Simcoe. Oh, lovely. Very nice. And your, and your son has just moved to Montreal as well, I think. R yeah, right, right around the corner from you, I believe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so when the, yeah, our um, restaurants and bars have just shut down, but when they open up again, um, we can meet up for sure. Um, hey, you must be really enjoying the smoked meat again. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Smoked meat per, per, uh, patine or whatever that he yeah. wants. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we're going to dive into the meat and bones of, you know, your 10 ways to reduce sourcing costs. And of course, many people are dying to know this, but one thing that we really like to do before we jump in is know a little bit more about you, about your personal journey. I'm sure you've got you know, hundreds of stories, but how did you end up being Norm, the beard guy for our? Lots of failures. <laughs> <laughs> no, really. Um, no, uh, I think it, I, I've been into a lot of different businesses and I set out, you know, coming out of high school thinking I was going to go down in the road and film. That's, I went to this film school and ended up working in that for about two years and found out that that wasn't a business for me. 
ended up getting into the promotional marketing business. And it was really cool because uh, I was a president of the first um, publicly traded promotional marketing company in Canada, which led me to some Fortune 500 companies that got me into internet. They basically asked me if I could build websites. I said, yes, I could. And we built a website. Other companies saw that we were doing this. And, you know, we just, we, we were ahead of other people launching websites and hosting. But because of that, it allowed me to get into um, outsourcing. We found a niche where people needed logos and corporate identity. Um, and I think we were one of the first companies to really do this on the internet was to do print on demand um, logos, business cards, letterhead. And we went to India and we outsourced a ton of designers and we gave people the choice of one day or three weeks, we had 24 hour turnaround. And it just was the the price just, you know, was more expensive if you wanted it. Um, And if you didn't want it, you wanted to wait, even though we had it, you paid a lot less. Um, And that just kind of spread out to all sorts of other areas. Uh, I got involved with my family in manufacturing. My dad's always been involved with manufacturing. I've worked at his uh, factories when I was growing up. Um, But because of my promotions business, things were opening up overseas. So we had an opportunity to go over there and open two factories in Taichung in um, Taiwan um, and doing contract manufacturing really before the crowd. And we, it was fairly successful. Um, we ended up opening up warehousing facilities and uh, specialty, man, uh, specialty packaging companies. And then at the end of the day, um, just being long-winded on this, but at the end of the day, uh, all of these little things added up to Amazon. So having e-com experience, being able, oh, a sourcing company as well. So, you know, you had your sourcing capabilities, the packaging, the brand experience, everything that was needed to put together that company. Now, the other piece of the business that really came into effect, I don't really talk about this side too much, but it's um, putting the, um, the, the SOPs together. So making sure that, you know, there were systems in place, making automated and scalable systems so you could grow a company and not just sit stagnant. Um, And also one of the biggest learning factors I've had in my my career uh, is basically vertical integration. So if you have, and this could work with a brand or this could work with multiple companies. So if you have an Amazon managed services company, well, people are going to ask for sourcing. Okay, you open sourcing, and then they're going to ask for logistics, then they're going to ask for communications or influencers or rebates. So you look down the line and you see how you can interweave everything, and you really become a one-stop shop, even though it's multiple companies. And that led me to Amazon. Yeah, Rockefeller would be very proud of you. <laughs> he was the first one that started vertical integration, where he's like, "I'm going to own the the steel, I'm going to own the trains, I'm going to own the coal, all this stuff," and then he's just like. You can't stop me. I'm 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 rich. <laughs> <laughs> well, everything falls into place once you have it, as long as you're organized. And that, mm-hmm. especially for Amazon sellers, um, it gets uh, you can go down a really dark hole if you don't know all the processes. And you shouldn't know all the process. You should have an idea, but if you're not an expert in it, why are you doing it? And especially if you have weakness. So like let's say it's an accounting side of it. If you don't understand that, you can kill your business. Why don't you just hire an expert? And most people hold back on spending money. There's right, there's good money to spend and there's bad money to spend. And if you have somebody that's really good in PPC or if you have somebody that's um, a great accountant, spend it and they'll save you a ton of money. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we say the same thing because we we always see people trying to be like their own graphic designer. You know, I'm going to make my own logo. I'm going to do my own marketing copy for, you know, whatever. And it's like, eh, we're looking at it. Maybe you shouldn't be the one that does this because not everybody's going to be an expert at everything. Just be good at what you're good at and let other people be good at what they're good at. So I think that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good, uh, you know, you know, information for everybody and understand, you know, hey, let, let, let people that actually are good at it do it and spend that money wisely as opposed to just, you know, going out and burning it however you want. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty cool journey you've had. Um, you know, I, I was not even old enough in the nineties. I think I had an AOL chat account. So back in that, that time I was literally on message boards and that was about the only thing I did on the internet. Um, but yeah, I, I know that you have, you want to take all this experience you got, you got, you have basically learned from, you know, 20 plus years on e-commerce and, you know, all these years on Amazon now and, you know, pour it all over our listeners ears. So I don't want to stand in the way of that. Um, so please feel free to go right ahead and just take it away. And we'll, we can just kind of jump in with some tidbits as they come to us. And, you know, uh, I don't know if you had anything you wanted to add, Kirsty, but uh, other, uh, otherwise, yeah, Norm, go right ahead. Okay. So probably uh, I, this is going to be very casual. So, I mean, if you have any questions too, you know, just dive in and, and let me know. But one of the things that I think we all have to um, come to grips with is we're all not experts and we have to look at our companies and see where we can save money. And even though, so we've had um, eight figure sellers that have come to us and this is with a sourcing company and they figure that, you know, they've already dealt in China for five years. What can you do? Well, if you don't understand the, the, the culture or just doing things slightly different, it could save you. Well, this company in particular, $800,000 in shipping, in shipping, just by changing the uh, in, uh, intervals that they were shipping. Mm-hmm. And so uh, anyways, just they had no idea that they could save that. And then we were able to negotiate. Uh, it was close to a million dollars in savings. Wow. So it's um, if you know what you're doing, then it's great. But what's, what, do every, what does everybody do right off the bat? They go to a course, no matter what course it is, they're not going to dig in to the really deep details of sourcing because it's, it's, it can be painful. It can be impossible, like opening up a, a bank account over there and doing what you know, I might be suggesting today. But it is doable. And a lot of the courses kind of skip over it. Uh, I've seen some courses are great, but a lot of courses completely skip over. What do they say? Go to Alibaba. And then for the advanced, go to 1688, but they don't realize you're going to get the same price in the long run. Like 1688, you could actually get hurt worse than if you go to Alibaba, which is mm-hmm. kind of crazy. But I, I do hear this all the time. So that's the first rule. Um, and just prior to that, I always talk, like I like talking about paying your tax. We hear about you're paying your Amazon tax. Well, this is just straight business tax. If, if you don't understand business, uh, and it doesn't mean that you have to go and take a four-year course or anything, but if you don't understand business, try to understand it. Um, Tim Francis, I don't know if you know him, but uh, he was, uh, he was uh, talking with me yesterday, and uh, he's got something called Know Your Number Workshop. You got to go there because that's where the starting point is. If you don't understand your finances, everything I tell you today is not going to make sense. And it's so simple to do. And he's got a fun way of doing it. I have no affiliate for, I just, he was talking to me yesterday. 
So it's, I literally tell people they're going to pay their taxes and in sourcing taxes or in Amazon taxes. So this leads to rule number one. And rule number one is try to avoid using those large sourcing platforms. Because when you, I don't know if you realize this, but when you go on to a sourcing platform like that, not only do you have a lot of brokers on there, like and layered brokers, I, I'm a fan of brokers. If it's one layer deep and they're gonna represent that company, no problem. If they're five layers deep and it's some broker's friend who's friend who's friend who's sister, um, <laughs> then you're paying a lot more money. And I can show you all sorts of examples of that. So by going on to um, an, an Alibaba 1688 or wherever you want to go, um, a lot of the times you're going to get all sorts of brokers. And along with those brokers, they see that you have a profile and it's a foreign profile. You're going to get taxed on that foreign profile, um, probably about 30% you're going to see. So the difference between um, 1688 and Alibaba is roughly around 20 to 30%. And the, the difference is um, 1688, you're dealing directly China to, uh, Chinese to Chinese. Um, compared to Alibaba, you have that foreign profile. But uh, I'm not going to get into 1688 or the reasons, the good, bad, and the uglies of it, or with Alibaba. They're both great platforms um, if you're starting out. Now, I don't know if a lot of people uh, understand this, but when you're dealing with suppliers overseas, if you have somebody that's speaking English to you, you're not dealing with a manufacturer. I, you know, people say, oh, yeah, I'm dealing directly with the manufacturer. Are you speaking English to them? Because yeah. most of the manufacturers I know are Chinese mm -hmm. and they don't speak English and they most of them don't have an export license. So if they don't have an export license, how are they doing business with you? And this is where their sales broker comes in. So they have a person that represents them, um, that speaks English, that has an export license that can, um, that can send off the profit. So a lot of the times when you're doing this, if you're dealing with a broker, it's not a bad thing. Uh, however, you, don't, you wanna know how many brokers deep you are. And there you can go to a sourcing agent. So this is one thing you can do. You can go check out what Alibaba is gonna um, come back with, and you're gonna see quotes all over the place. And you're gonna see quotes that are gonna be from $2 to $6. That's your first guess, if it's the same product. The second thing is, uh, are they gonna be selling, like if you go in and you check out what, they're, what they are selling, are they selling all over the map? So if, if you see beard combs, iPhone covers, coffee mugs, they're a broker and they mm -hmm. represent all sorts of different lines. You really wanna kind of stay away from that. If somebody's selling a coffee mug, who's selling a teacup, who's sell, and they're all closely related, then they're experts in that field and they're probably representing um, a company or other companies within that region. And also, this is just a, a little tidbit. If you're looking on Alibaba, the very first part of uh, Alibaba is usually the city. And if you notice here, you punch in beard combs and in China, you'll notice that there's different areas that focus on different specialties. Well, you'll see it mostly on, on the, the beginning of the keyword that, oh, that's the city. If you see something that's kind of out of the ordinary, take a look at it and you'll probably notice that's a broker. 
Yeah. Maybe yeah. a broker of a broker. So yeah. kind of just keep that in um, in back of your mind. And the other big thing is, do they work with local currency? So you want to make sure that they you know don't have to take U.S. dollars. It's RMB. Mm-hmm. I was just going to uh, say, Norm. Yeah, it's it's great to point out because a lot of the people think that you know they just go on Alibaba, contact the factory, which is just somebody on there that's like a chat agent, basically trying yeah. to help them. Um, but we, we 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 basically say you know use those for estimations and research, but don't think that you're going to get the best price or the best quality or you know these people are have your best interests in mind when you're trying to source from these kinds of websites. So I think that's a great tip. And then another thing that you were saying about the city, yeah, if you see like all the factories from Ningbo and then all of a sudden ones from like you know Guangzhou, you're like, well, that's kind of weird. So why is that one from Guangzhou? That doesn't seem like because you're right. I've been to China like seven times factories pocket together in a lot of ways, like plastics will be in like Shenzhen, for example, or like silicone will be in Shenzhen and, you know, like um, rubber might be in Ningbo or something like that. So there's, there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on. Um, But yeah, it's a great point because you always want to keep yourself looking for the oddities and then go, well, even when you're having conversations, like if they say stuff like, sure, yeah, we can do that. And you're like, well, I just asked you a really specific question and you, and you answered immediately like, yes, even though I don't feel like that might be the right thing. Like, hey, can I create my own version of this product? And they're like, yeah, of course, yeah, of course. I'm like, well, what if I do this? And then they're like, yes, of course. It's like, what if I add human body parts to it? It's like, yes, of course. Like, wait, what? <laughs> like, They'll just say yes, no matter what, right? Because that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get a sale. And then they'll go back to the fact and be like, I think he said he wanted human body parts, but I'm not sure if that was correct or <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and that's 100%. So there, if you see oddities like you said, just question it, you know. And one of the, as a, like a, a sourcing agent, it, we can't, it's not like email, instant response. Uh, you have to remember, like some, this is kind of going off topic with rules, but this is really important for people to realize that if you're dealing with different sourcing agencies, they all have different, um, compensation and different ways of doing things. So if you come and you're looking for that beard comb, it's a certain type and it's the best in the world and you want product development done on it and it's really cool. Well, it's not an instant. You, If you're going to go and do a factory audit or if you're going to go check out the factories, you pay for that. Somebody's got to pay for that. So sometimes when you pay that initial setup fee, that's for our people or whoever's people to go to the factories to make sure that they're not doing three different businesses out of our barn. Mm-hmm. And believe me, that happens. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it, it, there are costs associated. Now, you're either going to pay for it one way or the other. You pay for it with either an upfront comp cut with a lower percentage of sale going onward, or you pay for nothing free. And I don't know how companies do that, but let's say it's free. And you pay a much higher percentage on the sale on the back end. One way or the other, it's done. But you have to remember that when you bring in somebody outside of Alibaba or, you know, these sourcing platforms and you hire a company to go out and do it, usually you should ask if they're actually checking out the factory. And that takes time. And that's why it's not instant. It takes, you know, it it could take a week. It could take four weeks. But it's it's not like going on to Alibaba pushing a but, couple of buttons and you can't get frustrated. This to save money takes time. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree with that. It's, it's interesting because, um, cause we, we do recommend working with sourcing agents as well. And like you say, 
they they want the best deal for you because if they want to um, continue working with you as well, they want to make sure that the first time they work with you is is a really good experience. And we do get some of our members who get really frustrated if they haven't got a sample within a week and or if they're making any adjustments to the product you know they have why haven't got my sample like it's been seven days <laughs> it's like yeah. okay they just don't worry and they don't work specifically for us either you know but it's, it's a case of you know there's a process that you need to go through it's you know crap in crap out at the end of the day so you want to make sure that you're getting the best service also but also the best quality sample that you're going to get so that you can make sure that you're making the right decisions so i think that's a really good point about there's there's a a balance between patience and then just someone like not doing their job. Right. So I think it's That's a really a good point. Summary of the Amazon business, crap in, crap out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, and I, I think it's important too, that the, the sourcing company, the agent manages those expectations. So when they communicate back and forth with, especially new sellers, that they understand that process and a lot take it for granted. So um, you know, it, it could be 50-50. Sometimes because people have not bought through a, an agent before, they don't understand the process. They think it's like Alibaba. Yeah. And then on the sourcing agents, they think everybody is an experienced multi-million dollar seller and they don't explain the process. And that's where lack of communication can cause problems. Yeah. So let's go on to rule two, which I love and people's mouths usually drop if they don't know this. But when you pay um, a supplier in U.S. dollars, a supplier makes more money off of this usually than selling you the product. (laughs) Okay, so if you didn't hear that, they make more money off of your foreign exchange, the buffer, the hedge, like hedging um, the, the foreign exchange. They make more money off of that than the actual product itself. So, and this is the reason why. When you're paying a company in, in, um, uh, in China or anywhere, if you're paying in U.S. dollars, um, they have to make sure that they maintain profitability. Now, they're being paid in U- RMB, and RMB fluctuates. So if you take a look over the last year, there was an 8% fluctuation. So if you don't want to get caught in losing money, they'll put a 5 to 20% fluctuation, a buffer, in that U.S. Uh, cost or in the foreign, uh, sorry, in the U.S. foreign exchange. So it's important that you understand that if you're paying in U.S. dollars, and by the way, you can't go back to your manufacturer now and say, oh, I want to pay an RMB because all they're going to do is convert it and you'll be, you know, you're not going to get the benefit. If you're finding a new product and you want to pay an RMB, this, first of all, you're going to save five to 20%. Okay. Now this also depends on the foreign exchange uh, company that you're working with, mm-hmm. but <clears throat> most uh, don't, most foreign exchange companies are way less expensive than the bank. And you'll find out like right off the bat, you're going to save money. Now, the difference is your price might fluctuate. So it might go up 5% or 8%, but it's not going up 20%. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just kind of keep that in mind. Uh, what was a couple, I had a couple notes here that I was just going to make. I wanted to make sure that, um, that we covered it. Uh, if you're paying through PayPal, so you're, if you're paying a 4% charge through PayPal, think about it. You know, if you're paying a $10,000 bill or a $50,000 bill, 
we just paid for one of our clients like a hundred thousand dollar bill the other day. That's a lot of money they just saved uh, on four percent on PayPal. And then if you look at the other way, one percent or under on foreign exchange. Um, you know, it's crazy. It really is crazy if you're if you're using PayPal because it's convenient for the supplier to receive, or yeah. any of those foreign or, or any of those types of uh, services. And through your bank, you have to check to see what kind of payment or foreign exchange that you'd be paying on that as well. So um, we have a, a, like a service. There's plenty of other services out there, but all of um, my dealings over the last five years have been through um, just foreign exchange. And when you get set up, you get 20 plus accounts and you can just deal that way. But also this, I mean, obviously you're saving money, but it also makes you more competitive, right? Because there is a um, nervousness. I think that's probably downplaying it a bit that, you know, there are a lot of manufacturers that are direct selling on Amazon, right? And also the fact that, oh, well, these can charge less prices because guess what? They're, you know, it's their manufacturing price. But if we're able to save 20% just on the cost of the product, just from a foreign exchange perspective, that ultimately makes you more competitive than the next person who's playing US dollars. And then we can, you know, we can make sure that we can uh, either make more profit or maybe, you know, have more competitive pricing when we need it, that type of thing. So it's not just the saving of the money. It's also the the kind of, um, it's the ongoing effect of being able to have more confidence in the profit margins that you have as well. Right. And you know, there are people that get very worried about having to compete against their Chinese manufacturer. Uh, and if they are competing against you, I'd probably start looking for another manufacturer that yeah. has, you know, a little bit more ethical. But um, if that's the the case and you're doing that, uh, one thing you have over top of a Chinese manufacturer is that they're not designers. They're not, they don't usually know about um, perceived value where we do. We are brought up more with that. And by doing the small little things in the packaging or, um, just in the presentation, the user experience or what we call, I hate this expression, the journey, the customer <laughs> journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, I just, it's just uh. but uh, when you receive your package, right? If you, if, it, if you look at it and you have this incredible experience with it, the chances of you, especially if it's a recurring product, going and remembering the brand and buying it over and over, or just getting something that's put into bubble pack and sent, you know, to the person, completely different experience. And oh, yeah. uh, we were talking about it, Christy, we were talking about, I just bought some um, non-alcoholic beverages. I won't say the brand. Yeah. And so you spend $40 on this, this bottle of non-alcoholic gin, right? $40. <laughs> and it comes in an egg carton wrapped in bubble pack. And then you have another one that comes in at $29.99 and it comes in a beautiful box that you could drop three feet and it's perfectly, perfectly packaged. My thought was take, talk to the, the, the new company that's doing it at 29 and put it over 40 and you'd get it all day long. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's, it's just perception. A lot of people don't, a lot of people are nervous about putting their price up because they want to move volume where that's the wrong mindset. Yeah. And it's, and it's interesting again today, one of our um, coaches, actually, she was, she just posted it for fun, but 
her son bought a um he's a toy i think on amazon.co.uk and um there was something wrong with it and so she messaged the supplier messaged the seller and they came back and said oh we'll refund you uh, she, she paid 20 pounds for it uh, we'll refund you um eight you yeah eight yeah yuan i can never say that word yarn rmb whatever um and uh, which is like the equivalent of 91 pence, she said, in British money. Um, and fix it yourself. That was, the, <laughs> that was the customer service. That's a great Amazon customer journey, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, um, man. Oh, no. you know, and, uh, you know, re- re- not only refunding, but offering, I sell soap. And if somebody says... I don't like the scent of your lavender and they give you a one-star review and you guys probably cover this all the time. Okay. You know, you might not like that scent. How about this and give them a refund and make them a happy camper. You know, that's the best way to exceptional customer service. But anyways, let's go on to, to rule three. I go down different rabbit holes, (laughs) but uh, you got to keep me on focus because otherwise I'm It's all right. There's there's little gold in the rabbit hole, so it's all good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this is the most, probably the most important, not the most profitable, but the most important is know when to negotiate and how to negotiate. So when you're negotiating, one of the things that we never negotiate is on a finished product. Okay, if, if I've got that beard comb or beard brush, I want the price solid. I want it rock solid on that and that alone. And then once that's established, we can do other things. We can start looking at handwritten notes or you can start looking at the the packaging, you know, but we want to know what that cost is. Once again, they're not designers. They're not specialty manufacturers. In fact, you can go onto Amazon to any pet supplement or any supplement at all. And you can pretty much tell the companies that have done the same, that are ordering from the same supplier because the same designers have done their logos and labels and they look exactly the same. So how is, what is the first thing you can do for, to, to be different? And we were talking about just a second ago, perception. Well, if you can, let's say we're, we're doing beard oil. Well, can you put it in an airless pump? Nobody's doing that. You know, it, it's higher perceived value. You probably get five, $10 more just by that, just an airless pump. I don't know if that would work, but then the type of screening or import, uh, imprinting is, could you etch on that bottle, which would be really cool. Then what type of presentation can you do? Well, when last time I was in, um, I, I was in Iwu for this, I saw this really cool container where it was a cylinder where you can pull it out and your beard oil in that airless container could be in, uh, it was resting in there um, in, I guess it was EVA or some sort of compression foam. And so when you pulled that out, now you have something, talk about your customer experience. You're going from a $10 bottle to a $20 or $30 bottle just because of a couple dollars in packaging. Well, your manufacturer is not going to do that. You, this is where you could go to Alibaba and check out um, uh, pro- packaging companies mm-hmm. and get their ideas or pay the money and go to a real um, packaging designer, get some 3D renderings and then give it and get the price. Now, I guarantee you, 100% guarantee that if you let your, uh, after you negotiate the price of the flat, you know, the beard comb, 
Now you say, can you give me the price on the packaging? It will be anywhere from 20, 30 to 100% markup, okay? And that's okay. They have to make their money. But yours is going to be so much more, uh, uh, so cheap that you're going to save a lot of money right there. And if you ask them to kit it for you, they will do that usually for free. So they'll put it into the box or even assemble the box for you that they didn't produce. And now you're getting that part for free. Mm -hmm. So you've just probably saved on the packaging. You could easily save 30% right there. Now, I want to go back to the final negotiation, by the way. You want to make sure when you're negotiating that you take, don't take the first, the, the first uh, number that comes across. And we want to build a relationship with the supplier. Now, you might have three or you might be talking to five different people. You want to build that relationship. You want to get, um, get them to send you some samples. You, you want to take a look at what they're doing. You want to get it down to the final negotiation phase. And now you've got the numbers. You might negotiate a little bit. You got the final numbers. And one thing that we talk about is after they give you the final numbers, um, just go silent. Um, don't return emails just for a while. And you'll notice that, and uh, this happened with my soap packaging, which was completely crazy, but I'll tell you that story in a sec. They'll start saying, hey, I talked to my manuf- or I talked to my general manager and we can save you, you know, 5% over here. Oh, I, I talked to my general manager and he said we could do this. Well, at about the two-week point, you know, they're going to give you their rock bottom price and then they're going to go silent. Um, so once you start to see the price go down, get back in touch with them, say that's fine. What you don't do and you never do is try to negotiate a lower price after that because that's their rock bottom. They're making money. You're going to be able to make profit. If it gets, if it swings the other way where they're losing money, then you're in for a problem because they're going to cheapen your product over time. Mm-hmm. So uh, let me see here. So silence does rule. It's, it's, <laughs> it's funny, but you just have to be quiet. And what was with my soap box, I was working um, on just repackaging and I just put it on the back burner. And all of a sudden, emails started coming in over a period of a month. And I saved about 25% without doing nothing with something I was just like too busy to get back to. <laughs> so, all right, I'm good with that. <laughs> No, yeah. that's cool. That's cool. It's, <laughs> so, a bit, it's a bit like a dating strategy, right? When you go silent for a bit and you see if they really actually want to go out with you or not. There you go. Oh, <laughs> well, no, that's just, when you're, whenever you say dating strategy, that just brings up nightmare memories of high school. So <laughs> let's not go there. <laughs> yeah, one thing oh. I was going to say is that uh, another little kind of odd tip that you can put in there is you can say that you're like the sourcing manager when you're talking to factories as opposed to like the business owner. And then you say, oh, I got to go talk to my boss to see if this price is all right. And then you just wait for them to like, like send something back like, okay, well, actually send this to your boss. This is a better price. And they'll just keep trying to like beat what they just sent you. So it's like, (laughs) yeah, it's almost like, oh, I know I get it now. He's going to come back with something lower. So I might as well preempt (laughs) that. So I'm going to send that right now. The the other thing you can do when you're negotiating those prices, um, it's about their warehousing too. And the warehousing, uh, the inventory strategy now, um, you can use the Chinese warehouse to store usually for free. 
mm-hmm. and we'll double up. So our orders right now, um, ongoing, not just fourth quarter, uh, we have stuff in our 3PL, we have stuff at Amazon, uh, and we've negotiated uh, and this is the time to negotiate with your suppliers, but negotiated deals that we either get a double run, put into their warehouse for nothing. Believe me, that hap- has happened a few times, or we pay a minor amount, you know, 20%, sometimes 30% to have it on reserve. That's when it's smart cash, mm-hmm. because if this starts, stuff start, starts to fly off the shelves in third or fourth quarter, I know I can get that inventory back into place very quickly, just depending on what type of uh, shipping arrangements I want. And then as soon as that leaves, the manufacturer starts uh, um, manufacturing again, putting more into stock, and you'll never run out of stock. Mm. It's, it's just, it's, it's great when that happens. And oh, another tip on packaging, by the way, a lot of people, uh, when they're starting out, they're, they're testing the market. So they're doing 250, 500, 1,000 units. And they'll stick with those prices. So the prices might be $2.50. And then when you go down to 500, it might be $2. And then if you go down to, or sorry, it'll go up, you know, because it's lower rates. Bump it. Go up to 2,500 or 5,000 units. And you'll notice that that $2 rate might go down to 79 cents. Very inexpensive. And your supplier will warehouse it for free because they know it's going to be their business. Mm-hmm. I've never been charged ever for having the packaging that I bought instead of them saving money and then storing it in their warehouse for free. So that's a, a couple of things that you can do. And also on the warehousing side, let's say you don't have a 3PL here in North America. There's plenty of very inexpensive Chinese warehousing that you can store and as long as you've got a, a really good inventory strategy, you can work with. Mm-hmm. So um, that's another way of savings. Ideally, you want to have either the manufacturer, if not the manufacturer, a Chinese 3PL. And uh, 3PL is just a warehouse. And then if you, if you do have the ability, have some at your Chinese uh, either or, then have some in your um, warehouse and then uh, have some in, in Amazon. That's your best best case scenario. Yeah. And also, Norm, have you got any tips for, so say you go down that, that strategy, is there a way that you negotiate payment terms on that so that you're not, oh. you know, flooding uh, or taking all your, your cash up front as well for that strategy? Yeah. It's right now, it, there's never been a time, but there's also economic issues and other issues that are in China right now. So you also want to be careful about the manufacturer that you're using. And this is also why um, a factory audit is a a good way of making sure that it it exists, you know, and there's no way of knowing whether it's going to go out of business or not, but there are tough times for everybody. Um, one uh, uh, One of the things that you can do right now is renegotiate. And we've seen, so we, this is all in an ask, just, we just asked, uh, and this it's fairly large um, dollars because um, they're um, high-end chef knives, mm-hmm. so big bucks. And we ended up uh, having them do that same scenario. We had 2,500 units in. There was a total of 2,500 in play between the warehouse and Amazon. Uh, we ended up paying 20% deposit, 20% 
when it hit the dock. Get this, 90 days. Do you know what that does to cash flow? Yeah. <laughs> 90 days. And then by that time, you're only paying 20% of the stuff that's in until you need it. Another 20%, 90 days. Now that was unheard of. Usually you can do, and you know, 2020, 40 or 2020, 60, um, or, and what I mean, 60 is not days. Usually it's 30 days after. So 60% 30 days after it might stretch out to 60. That's, I hear a lot of people doing that. That's tougher, but negotiating those terms are absolutely 100% the way to go. And I will pay 40%, like that 20, 20 at the dock, and then uh, the, the 60, 30 days all day long, and you'll see your cash flow open up right away. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely something that we um, coach our people on as well, and because it's definitely something that Isaac and I have, have experienced. I, I've been working with my supplier from day one since I started, right, which is seven years ago. So I can get like up to 180 days on some stuff. Mm. which is pretty cool. They're almost like a line of credit. She doesn't goods anymore. She just gets them for free. I just (laughs) (laughs) I wish. I've had very long payment terms though, yeah. But, you know, when you were talking earlier about relationships, you know, that is something that you can do definitely long-term, isn't it, is is to – we almost like work with them now like a credit line, you know, Um, and because we've got a mutual beneficial relationship. So, um, but, yeah, I think – um, for people to really understand that it's, obvi- it's obviously also about uh, profitability, but it's also about the cash flow that you're going to get through by being able to work in this way is going to really help you grow the business as well. Right. Yeah. You're, again, another rabbit hole, but if you're not properly capitalized on Amazon, and if you really don't understand how to capitalize your business, get help because you can have a home run and your business will fail. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. And I've had that happen, you know, um, with a client that he hit a home run on bully sticks. This is way before, like, there's one company that really has their grip on bully sticks right now, but he was killing it. And he ended up having to sell his brand uh, because he couldn't afford the next inventory installment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the next one I love and I've got an example that I can give you, but it's free on board or FOB. You've probably heard the terms, but I'm talking about your, your listeners. That's not the way. If you're shipping FOB, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Um, FOB is really just the factory uh, making arrangements with their buddy to pick up and drop off at a dock. Okay. That's what they do. When you hear FOB, that's what they're doing. And then the dock, you know, uh, uh, delivers to the door. If you switch that to XWorks, which is E-X-W, and it's just X works. I mean, that's what it stands for. And it's where you take the responsibility of making that phone call to a logistics company, a freight forwarder. It's uber easy to do. You just basically say, uh, you know, pick up here, drop off here. And sometimes you'll get resistance from the manufacturer because this is another area where they make money. Um, and I'll give you an example of this. Uh, and I, I just put this in my notes that we had, this is a real example. We had a, a client that was paying $1.85 per product for FOB. That's delivering to the door, okay? XWorks price was $1.25. 
That was a 30% savings. It was 10,000 pieces. They saved on one phone call, hey, would you pick this up? $6,000. Wow. Yeah. So if you're paying FOB and is it feels like it's oh this is complicated, talk to a freight forwarder. Um, you know I never am on the phone with a, a Chinese freight forwarder. I make arrangements, but um, it's actually Afalabi, my partner, that does it, all of that. Uh, but anyways, this is what the types of things that you can save. Now the other rule of thumb uh, that we have is mixing it up and I'm talking about um, different freight or different freight charges. Um, how many times do you hear that? Oh, my product's out of stock. It's sitting in China. Why are you not air freighting it over? Oh, it's going to cost so much money. Well, by going by normal, like just ocean freight, you're going to wait four, six weeks, you know, how long it takes to Amazon. Now we're in fourth quarter to receive it. What's that going to do to your ranking? You're done. Like you've got to fight to get that ranking back. Okay. It costs you an extra dollar to $3 to fly something over. I, what I would do, and this is any, I don't know what that situation, but in this situation, fly over products that will cost you two to $3 more, even break even on those products to get them into Amazon, to keep the sales momentum going during this time, because people who have inventory are going to win the battle. Then shoot out whatever you think uh, using high-speed vessel, which only takes three weeks. It's not that you know, that far out. It just depends on how far Amazon's going to take it out. And what we've done with a high-speed vessel, we'll actually get the product shipped um, into, uh, for us, it's our Pennsylvania warehouse, and then we can ship it out to areas that are receiving very quickly. For those people who are um, uh, you know, going over into California, it could take a lot longer time to receive it into Amazon if that's what you're doing. But um, anyways, this is about mixing it up. So you, you have three different areas, your most expensive, and the closer it gets to the holiday time, the more expensive it's going to be. High-speed vessel is not really that much more, exp uh, it's not that expensive. It's roughly in the middle of ocean freight, which is going to take a lot longer. So mix those three up so you never run out of inventory. Take the hit on the air, get the others over there, while and shoot enough over that, that you can cover off for a week's worth of sales mm -hmm. while high-speed vessels going over. And while that gets unloaded, you've got your main supply going over by ocean. And then you've got that blended rate, which works extremely well. Yeah. yeah. Now, that's a really, really good, important point because – uh, we just did a podcast last week, actually, around, um, you know, getting ready for quarter four, making sure that you've got your inventory because, and we were saying, you know, especially with the restrictions that are currently going on, whoever wins the inventory game right now is going to win, right? Because yep. like you said, it costs so much more money to get back in stock. And as soon as you go out, then all your competitors are just kind of sucking up all those sales. And then it's, it's even more difficult to get back. So having, you know, it's the opportunity cost not of the physic, not of the myopic view of that specific cost right there and then. It's in the total impact it's going to have across your business as a whole. And I think uh, some, a lot of the points that you're bringing up here is, is that point is looking at your business as a whole entity and then seeing how your manufacturing and how your inventory management 
plays such an important part in in essentially you getting the money back at the end of the day. So you've got to see it in that total context. So that, yeah, that's a really important point because people can get so myopic on that one cost. It's mm-hmm. the same with PPC, right? It's the same with all those specific costs in your business without seeing what the total you know, positive impact can be or the negative impact is going yeah. to be. Oh, I'm going to lose money. No, it's just whether going out of inventory for three or four weeks, now you're talking losing money. Yeah. And you have to fight, you know, either rebates or whatever you're doing to get those sales back up. You know, you're, it's just much harder to rank. Yep. So on rule six, this is another one that, um, you know, it, 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 when you first start, this is what you do because you have no other way. Oh, your manufacturer. Oh, great. Can you just make arrangements for me and ship it door to door? Now, that is the third pillar of profitability for your manufacturer. Now, if you take away those three, they're, they're, they could give you a bit of a hassle with this one, but they do know that you know what you're talking about. So they're, you know, don't, they're not a shipping company. Um, they'll probably just call it out to their brother's friend who will pick it up and make arrangements and they'll make oodles of money off of you. Go to a logistics company that could work this out and what makes sense for you as a buyer or as their customer. Yeah. Interestingly, I um, did that on my first, oh, it was my second product. And he said, yeah, I can get it door to door. No worries. So I paid for it, obviously, in the price. And they, he just got it to the US. And my first product, I'd, I'd had it air freighted, so it got in no problem. And I went to a different manufacturer, got this one product. It needed to be shipped because it was a larger product. And um, yeah, it was stuck in uh, customs for like four months. I had no idea how to get it out, <laughs> literally. Oh. Yeah. So yeah, even this, even though when they say they can do it, it doesn't really say they can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I always I always think of it as like, well, does the manufacturer have a logistics company? Because they're going to need somebody on the other side to do something with that product, right? So yeah, you really need to work with a logistics company for you know any of this stuff. And one thing I wanted to point out, you were mentioning about XWorks is when you say XWorks, yes, you go out and find logistics companies. It doesn't save you any money to then go out and try to get your own rate from FedEx or DHL because you don't buy in volume. So I've, I've also tried this in the past of like, hey, how do I get my own shipping rate on a thousand units? And it's like, oh, we're going to pay $6 a carton. And I'm like, oh, that's a lot more expensive or like, or not $6 a carton, $6 a, a product. And I was like, that's a lot more expensive than the, the manufacturer said they could do it. So then I was like, oh, let's see what Freight Forward will do. And it's like, oh, it's 70 cents a unit. And you're like, that's a lot better. So let's do it that way instead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you need to do your homework. And a lot of the times I'm just, that is, that's a, another tip that was just coming up. Um, it's about hidden fees. And one of the ways that a lot of people, like if you go to a, a site that provides um, instant shipping quotes, I don't know if you've ever seen these sites, but they're all over. Mm-hmm. And, oh, it's so convenient. Again, it's just easy to do. Well, the reason why it's so easy to do is, and it's so cheap is because there's all sorts of hidden fees, usually. I can't mm-hmm. say that for everyone, but like I, I wrote down a couple here and you've got like a waiting charge or a freight charge or um, uh, there's, oh, by the way, there's no negotiation on it. Um, there's Chinese export clearance. There's a document prep fee, freight costs, uh, who has the insurance, uh, document delivery, port charges, domestic transportation, custom bond. 
These are all taken in consideration when you're doing it or using another logistics company. They're taking all that into consideration when you've got that price from them. When you get something online, you all of a sudden you get these bills and you go, what the heck is, you know, what are these fees? What are the waiting charges for? You know, Amazon will charge that. You know, but anyways, yeah, that's just something to take in consideration when you are going to one of those type sites. Mm-hmm. This is a, when we talked about going out and getting four or five different companies to um, send you samples, uh, one of the things that you want to do is if you can use uh, either a freight forwarder or, or a logistics company or somebody over in China, a sourcing agent, um, get them to consolidate. And you can talk to them about making notes about each one and which company that they would choose. So um, shipping in China is very inexpensive. But most of the time, shipping overseas, you'll end up with a $70 bill or a $100 bill. And if you can get the, uh, like you consolidate your samples, four or five different samples, get your sourcing agent to mark which ones that they like in their notes, then you get them. And now you know which, uh, now you get them in one cost, a $170 bill rather than $350 or whatever it'll be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely, I mean, this is something... Since day one, I've told everybody, and, and, and Kirstie, you weren't using a sourcing agent when we first started working together, but um, for this exact purpose, like if you have your first product or you're looking for a new product or a new supplier, you need to find those samples. Well, if you have a sourcing agent, you can just send them all to her or him, and they'll put them all in one package and send it to you. They'll usually actually even get the samples cheaper because sometimes you'll have to pay mm-hmm. you know, sample fees from each factory. But if you have a sourcing agent, they'll be like, hey you know, can I get an on-hand sample or like these, you know, previous companies that you've worked with? Can we just get a couple copies of that just so that we can look at the quality? And then they'll ship that to you as opposed to waiting for a custom sample, which can take three weeks, a month. And it's like this handmade crappy version of it anyway, just with your logo on it. It's like, well, I didn't want that. I wanted just an example of what you currently make. So yeah, there's lots of different little nuances there between samples, who's going to ship it, how many you got to get shipped. And if you have a sourcing agent, they can kind of figure that out all for you. Right. Um, This one, the next tip, uh, this is the one that will save you the biggest dollars. If, if this works with you or if this is a company, there's gold that can be found in HTS codes and harmonized tariff um, system. And uh, if you see, so first thing I should mention is that many suppliers, Chinese suppliers ship HS codes instead of HTS codes. And it has to be HTS. Uh, some will try to figure out what HTS code to use and they misread uh, it because the, you know, HTS codes are very complicated and you know your broker could probably help you out with this. There is a, an agency. Um, it's if you want, it's hts.usitc.gov. hts.usitc.gov, and you can see all the different um, codes. Now, I think I'm pretty savvy with these codes, and I got nailed. So I was shipping my natural soap as natural soap. And I was getting a 17% duty into Canada from the U.S. Then I found out that I can use Castile soap, which is that's the type of soap it is, for zero. So I saved 17%. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> um, so just remember when you're when you're getting your your um, supplier to send an HTS code, um, you might want to have your broker check it because uh, they don't speak English. And they're just going to have uh, like the one that is an overview or wherever they interpret it or however they interpret it. And it might be wrong. And I'll give you a couple of examples. So during quarantine, we brought in these caution quarantine signs and the cost was $20,000. Um, it was zero plus Trump tax at 25. Uh, the first duty calculation is on the cost of the goods, which is 25 times 20,000, which is 5,000. It's the duty uh, rate before the calculation was 25%, which was $5,000. We changed it from items of aluminum to uh, items of display warning advertising, and it became 7.5%, and the total savings was $3,500. Wow. Now, this one, uh, I love this one. It was cost of goods was 50000 It was 4.9% uh, with HTS code plus 25 Trump tax. So the total first calculation was 4.9 of 50, which was uh, 2450. But then they take the 2450, and that's where you calculate the Trump tax of 25% on everything, which gave us a total duty of $15,562. When we reclassified it, we were able to do it under a different classification that did not have Trump tax, and they only had to pay 2.1%. The total savings was 14512 Wow, that's brilliant. So how would you recommend that people do this? Is it, is it kind of a case, sometimes it's just a direct mismatch, or is it that you're saying that you can actually think differently about which code it goes under and make sure that you're in control of that process? Yeah, for, for like, let's take mine, for example. You can't lie. If you lie, there's huge penalties. Yeah. But my, like, when I was thinking about it, I thought, okay, cool. Natural soap, 17%, that's what I got to pay. I checked and I looked under different classifications. I didn't think of it until my broker said, well, isn't this olive oil-based, blah, 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 blah. And I said, yeah. He said, well, it's a Castile soap. Yes. Oh, boom. And that's the same here. Like you wouldn't have thought because you're not used to it. It's an aluminum sign and your manufacturer is a sign manufacturer. So they're going out saying it's a aluminum sign. They're not thinking about the imprint that's on it or looking at other ways of classifying it, which is completely legal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, anyways, a broker, probably a broker, a definitely like a broker sourcing agent, um, would be the people to to look at and talk to. Yeah, and I was going to say, as far as Trump tax goes, the the duties and stuff. I mean, the way that you're doing, you're actually paying what Trump pays in taxes. Yeah, which is very little. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I knew where you were going with that. <laughs> no, that's okay. a great one. That's a, that's a really good one. I like that one. No, I'm, I'm going to go through all my HTS codes now and go right. Where can I where can I find some savings? That's brilliant. Yeah. And some people, I know like for cosmetics and I really, I just can't buy cosmetics out of China, but I know people do and they're fine, but you hear so many horror stories, right? So, <laughs> um, but if you are doing that and you have that always in the back of your mind, oh man, 
you know, just buying out cosmetics out of China. Now is the time to go over to Korea, which Korea's got an incredible cosmetic industry. Um, you used to be priced out of the market because they were so high, anywhere from 15 to 25% higher. But bringing that in, you know, you have zero tax, uh, like there's no Trump tax, put it that way. So now you're back being able to compete with the Chinese on cosmetics, and they have an incredible value. So if I saw something in a store that was made in Korea compared to made in China, I would pay more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hands down. But why yeah. do people buy iPhones then instead of Samsung? Psh, not smart consumers, <laughs> I tell you. <laughs> oh. Now, an another, so this is uh, rule 10. Uh, we blew through these. Um, insurance is always an important factor. At the beginning, when I started talking, we started talking about um, there's a right place to spend money and a wrong place to spend money. The right place to spend money is what I call insurance of some, it's, it's a type, type of insurance, but is a proper inspection. Now, a lot of sourcing agents, if they say that they're an inspection company, um, you have to kind of, they're not. I haven't really found too many inspection companies that have a sourcing arm. Um, usually it's, they're like for us, we have, we outsource that. And if they are saying that they're doing it in-house, you have to expect, because you have to, you, you have to wonder, because you have to be able to travel all over China. Um, if, if they have multiple, if they're any size of a company, if they have more than five orders a day, how are they doing it? Yeah. You know, so anyways, it could be all over China and there's agencies like we have an agency in China that's all over and it's a proper inspection. Now, there are different types of inspections. Um, one that I show people, uh, we recently did one for the skateboard company and we showed a strip screw. We showed um, a gouge in the wood. This is right out of the inspection report. Inspection reports can be like 40, 50 pages long. We showed a nick out of a wheel. We actually, it was hilarious because one of the funniest shots in the inspection report was this, um, the, uh, the, the actual inspector trying to sit on top of like 200 pounds of weights, trying to show that it will hold his weight <laughs> plus the 200 pounds. And then there was a video shot of the skateboards being straight and going to the left and going to the right. But the problem was the first grouping, the inspector had never been on a skateboard. So he had to learn how to ride a skateboard. But all of the things that he talked about would have been one-star reviews or two-star reviews. It came dirty, blah, 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 blah. You know, it just, it depends on who, who gets the skateboard. And aesthetically, if I had a gouge or a scrape uh, on my skateboard, you know, when I first got it, I would be ticked. The other, this also allows to figure out the, um, the pain tolerance, the defect rate. What are you, what do you want to, what is an acceptable rate? And then you can figure it out. Uh, also, you want to figure out um, if there are um, issues of returns on Amazon, is the manufacturer going to give you a credit against your next order? 
And th this is going to be my, I think it's my next slide, but you can, you, you have to establish, establish this in front or like all up front. And the other thing you're doing with, uh, there's all types of different inspection. It could be about, you know, uh, just curing wood. Like, is it cured at the right temperature or right percentage to laboratory, you know, sending, uh, sending product out to laboratory to make sure that the 10% essential oil that's supposed to be in my natural soap is not a fragrance. Mm -hmm. So they'll test it for that. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not expensive. They, they're usually around 250, 350 bucks. Uh, and they have spot checks. You can have um, do the factory audit in the beginning. You pull off, the, the nice thing about this, and this will come up in a second, but you have a production sample that you always work off of, a signed production sample that you've done They've done, it's approved, and it's part of your order and ongoing orders. So I'll get to that in two seconds, but um, when you communicate with your supplier, uh, and this is just kind of a bonus throw in, people, a lot of people deal with email. They think, okay, that's cool. Well, it's cool until you have a problem where your shipment comes in and they're all wrong or there's some mass or miscommunication and you have no nothing you can stand on. You know, the, the manufacturers are typically going to work with you. And if there's a problem, that's fine. Um, they'll work with you to work it out. There are some bad ones, but typically if they're at fault, they'll, they'll work, work it out, especially if it's in a legal and binding contract, which email is not. The next that you have is a um, scope of work or pro forma request for quote. And most Americans think that that's a legal and binding contract, which it's not. Uh, this is a, 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 this is all it is, is peace of mind for you as like, I'm in Canada, uh, I'm sending off these POs and I'm thinking, oh, this is, you know, this is just like it is here. It's a binding agreement between you and the company. You know, you've got to, you, you're, you're basically signing off on the specs. You can put all your information in there. You can put about, you know, the, the company address, the, the type of wood, uh, what percentage of the cure, whatever it is. Um, it could be the percentage of natural oils, the defect rate, the terms, um, the packaging, who's packaging. Uh, let's see. Uh, there, there's tons of different areas that you can put into a, a pro forma. But Usually a pro forma has to be in Chinese, which will help you leverage it in court. Um, but most times if it's not in Chinese uh, and English, the reason why uh, the Chinese like to use it is because of translation issues. If they have English, the translators that they use in the court systems mistranslate and a lot of the times people lose. Mm -hmm. And now you go to the um, pro forma. And the pro forma is your contract. It's a stamped contract between you and the supplier with the exact same information. One of the big ones is if you put molds, like you have custom molds and you pay 30,000 bucks, put it on a PO for the most part, and um, the supplier steals them and it's not on your pro forma, well, guess what? They own the, they, they could own it could be a legal battle, but they end up owning the, the the custom because the custom molds were on a PO and not on the pro forma. But mm -hmm. if everything's on the pro forma, 
It's it's the final document. Well, not quite. It's the document that acknowledges that you've come to an agreement. And the most important thing that you can put in here that a lot of people overlook, it's about that pre-production sample. That the production must match the pre-production sample. Mm-hmm. And because there's a magical formula in China that around your fourth or fifth order, your production quality starts to decline. And if you don't have a sample of it, all of a sudden you're looking at uh, that plastic shoe stretcher, all of a sudden their spring is really cheap and it's falling apart. And why? Because it could be that they're just trying to save money. Like I've got a horror story uh, about um, my my family owns a manufacturing company in China and it's, it's for uh, wipes, screen wipes and stuff like that. But before we um, built the factory over there, uh, we brought over our own wipes and we were selling them over here. This is two years ago. And we had this guy, Freddie, who um, was our uh, agent and he went out and he tried the, the film that's on the inside because it's alcohol based um, he tried to save that thousandth of a penny and he put a different type in it and all of the liquid bled through and a container with hundreds of thousands of these are sitting there. Not that we had to eat the whole thing. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we've, we've paid our Amazon tax, you know, and that wasn't for Amazon. That was for our retail distribution, but, we've paid our tax that way. And that's how we've learned about a lot of these um, mm-hmm. things is through school of hard knocks. Yeah. But that is the biggest, uh, your, your inspection and the, uh, the item, the defect rate, the inspection, the credit and signing off on that production sample are probably the most important things. If you have custom molds, definitely you have to have an import pro forma. And the final version is your commercial invoice, which is a digital copy of uh, the invoice uh, acknowledging the transaction between you and the supplier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also that the commercial invoice is very, very important for Amazon itself, just in case you have any uh, contest, contesting, I suppose. That any authenticity of the product, any authenticity claims, that type of thing. I know this again from personal experience, having gone through it, sent a pro forma and they're like, no, you're not sending us the right thing until I worked out it was actually a commercial invoice and had a lot of problems trying to convince them that it actually was a commercial invoice. So definitely make sure that you have all that paperwork. You understand, as you said, Norm, exactly what's on it, what's the binding contract with the supplier, but then also what you need for any specific things that you might need for Amazon as well. So right. I've got one last very quick one. And it's not, when I first heard about this, it was like, hurry up and and get this. It's not that urgent, but it is important uh, if you want to protect yourself in China. And that's a trademark. Mm -hmm. Um, You'll hear about this and more fear factors than reality factors. But um, if you do want to protect, if you've got, uh, you know, a brand that you're building, for the $500, $800 cost, depending where you go, get a Chinese trademark to protect your brand. Because if you don't have it and somebody in China ends up looking on Amazon saying, hey, this is a good one, uh, and they take it, uh, you're going to have a problem getting your product out of China. In fact, try getting it out of China. 
Yep. I mean, that's a, that's, that's a pretty good one. Like, I mean, even a classic case is this in Australia where Burger King couldn't get Burger King because Burger King already existed. And so they had to change the name in Australia, the Hungry Jacks. So if they really thought about it, you know, as they were growing their business, they would have trademarked Burger King over there while they were growing instead of somebody else using that as a, uh, as a name for their hamburger store. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, I think you gave us 11 there, Norm, which is awesome. So always a little bonus tip there. <laughs> Um, but we're just going to recap the 10 rules, make sure I've got this right. So rule number one was trying to avoid using large sourcing platforms because there's a lot of middlemen that are going to take their own cuts and profit. So make sure you have a think about, you know, how you're going to potentially use a sourcing agent or potentially work with norms company, that type of thing. (laughs) Uh, rule two, when you pay supplier in us dollars, and this is an awesome one, they make more money off the currency exchange than what they do off of the product itself. And this is this is actually a bugbear for me, not even just in this instance, but like when you're traveling around the world, have you ever noticed if you want to pay by your card, they always say, do you want to pay in your local currency? Never pay in your currency. So if I'm in, uh, if my currency is Canadian, Canadian dollars, and I go to Italy, if I'm not paying in euro, there's a problem if you want to pay in Canadian dollars because you get charged way more and the bank makes a cut. It's exactly the same kind of thing, right? But you think, they think, they present it to you like they're doing you a favor, right? So it's the same thing here. So I think that's a really good one. And I think, Norm, you said um, you can't do it once, you've already, once you're already there. It's very difficult to kind of get out of that. But if you go to a new supplier, make sure that you do it or a new product, you could potentially do it. Rule number three, know when to negotiate and how to negotiate. So save money on the packaging, do it outside the factory. Um, also, you can then can get the the uh, sorry the manufacturer itself to put the product in the pack in the packaging and then you're not going to pay for pick and pack and all that other stuff rule number four free on board or fob is not the way to ship you take the responsibility instead so get an x works price and then get a freight forwarder to do the shipping for you and you're going to save money there rule number five mix up your shipping orders so have a think about don't think of it as a myopic cost think of it as how do i keep myself in inventory all the way along that's your number one objective and the way to be able to do that is to think about air freight shipping fast sea shipping and long sea shipping that's what i'm going to call it but basically normal shipping right um and then having potential warehouses along the way so 3pls in china and also 3pls in the us uh rule number 6 don't let your man- don't get your manufacturer to ship it door to door Rule number seven, get someone to consolidate your samples and ship all that in one package. And that's going to save a lot on sample costs. We know that sometimes one sample might cost you a hundred bucks. So if you're getting five of those, it's $500. So this way you can get it for like a hundred, just one cost of a hundred dollars. Rule number eight, another cool little one here, use the right HTS codes to save money on duties. We talked at length about that. So that's definitely something I'm going to have a look at. Um, hts.usitc.gov. That's where you can get a list of all the different codes. So make sure, I think that's a a nice little one that people can kind of have a bit of a bingo on, I think, (laughs) uh, tonight as they listen to this. Rule number nine, um, I think it was, you can look to source from other countries because there's no Trump taxes there, right? So you cited an example like Korea as a way to be able to get stuff from um, outside of China. I was going to ask you something on this, actually, Norm, is because this is something that we get asked a lot. Obviously, there's a lot of manufacturing in China and people are kind of like, how do I branch out of China, potentially look at other countries like India, Vietnam, Korea, like you said. 
where do you think is a good place for, how can you find other um, sourcing agents or manufacturers in those countries? Is there, is there anything, any tips that you've got on that? It really depends on the product that you're looking for. So with cosmetics, uh, we know that Korea is a great spot for cosmetics. If you've got wooden products, you know, you could look into South America, you could take a look into India. One of the things you want to be careful of is that Vietnam is, is coming, like they're, they're doing a much better job. And the reason for it is the Chinese are moving over to Vietnam to establish the factories. But right now, um, I, I wouldn't discourage it, but just be careful because they, they are going through a cultural change. And an, I guess it's more of an industrial change, it's just a different way of doing things. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, their way of packaging, their way of um, presenting things, um, their quality, it might not be up to snuff, but the Chinese are definitely there to show them how to change. Gotcha. Okay. okay? And so there's, there's a lot of different opportunities where um, if you're finding new products, um, you can source though, like in, in India, uh, Magla, uh, I don't know if you've got her on the podcast, but source in India Mm. It's wide open to all sorts of new opportunities that most people never really thought of. You can, like f- for soap, go to France. France or, or go to Europe. Just incredible soaps that I, I you know, started to, to check out and find. There's all sorts of different ways that you can find different countries to work with. It could be as simple as putting it into the search bar. Um, into Google and just seeing what other manufacturers um, are, are out there. Like for us, um, that bully stick company that was having a problem, I bought it. And all right, so it's a commodity in North America. Well, where can you get them? Well, Brazil's got them. Okay, well, Brazil's got them. They're selling them to everybody. Is there any other countries that I can look for to you know, bring them in at a fairly good cost without jeopardizing the quality. So there's a few other countries out there, including Canada, that you can look at. Um, but it, it's not hard. You just have to know, first of all, what you're looking for, and then the door will open up. Like you can check out your competitors, see where they're manufactured. But it has to, it, it, it really depends on where, uh, like the, the area, like in China, there's different areas. Philippines, there's different areas for different, um, for different specific products. So it, it, that's a hard question unless you know the product. Yeah, sure. No, but that's, that's really good because I think in terms of the rules that you've given, they can apply directly to any country or any, anywhere that you want to source from, right? It's mm. just looking at all those different areas of what can leak cost out of the business. Um, and then rule number 10, get inspections done in China to save those one-star reviews. Don't wait until it comes into whichever country that you're selling in. Um, you don't want to ship a bad bunch of products because you can't fix the problem there, right? And we, we see this a lot where people have said, yeah, I've got this inspection company in the US. Well, if you haven't inspected it in China, what are you going to do with it? You're going to have to ship it back and get it redone, right? Um, so that's a really good one as well. People still do it. So we want to make sure that you have those inspections done and you also get a production sample. And then the bonus one was around essentially really understanding what the, um, I think you were talking about basically the the binding contract when you're working with a supplier. So the pro forma with everything on it is kind of like your binding contract, your final contract, and then make sure you get a commercial 
invoice as well. Is there anything else that you're like, oh, I wish I'd have told them well, about this there, as there well? There's one other uh, item we went over, and that was getting quotes directly, shipping quotes directly from a site that'll give you an instant quote. Right. Yeah. yeah. Never get that. <laughs> yeah. There we go. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, so that's it. I, I am tapped on, you know, ways to there's, I guess there's all sorts of ways to save money, but if you have to add, especially like the, that inspection, make sure you trap that in, you, you'll put your costs together to know your exact cost. People mm-hmm. sometimes don't um, add that into their calculations. And these are those hidden costs that at the end of the day, when you're looking at your financials and you're wondering, you know, why you're off, um, it could be, you know, smaller costs just like that yeah. or 4% you're paying on PayPal, you know, all of yeah. gone. Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can actually throw in one extra one and I'm, I'm sure you can agree with this. I know Kirsty, we've done this before, but, uh, if you have the opportunity to go to China, don't waste your money on trying to go to all these sourcing fairs, rather go to your supplier and negotiate terms with them in person because you'll get super great rates and they'll, you know, give you, you know, they'll buy you dinner, they'll take you out, they'll do all this stuff and you can actually save a lot of money. Now it might cost you money for that trip, but ongoing with your sourcing and, and, and your, uh, your supplier negotiation, cost of goods, all that stuff, you'll have a lot better rates and, and ongoing, you'll, that, that money will recoup itself eventually. So um, it's essentially a business tax to go to China, but you get to have some fun and you get, you know, ongoing great rates at your, your cost of goods and all that stuff. We were, um, this is, uh, this is hilarious. So when we were opening up uh, the factory in Taiwan, we were looking at another manufacturer for some other products we were bringing over. So my brother, Steve and I uh, went over and met with the manufacturer and um, he was very cold. Everybody else was very friendly and taking us out. And, you know, we just had a great time over there. Um, and, at the time, and maybe even now, uh, less now, but they wanted to get to know you. You would never put an order in the first day you met somebody. They want to get to know you a little bit. And so um, second time we met, cold as ice. And what is going on? So we're talking to our interpreter. uh, um, Tell me what I'm trying to say. Interpreter? That's it. (laughs) (laughs) And and they said, oh, um," and they were very embarrassed. They said, um, your brother, he has a problem with your brother. Well, what's the problem? Well, it seems that Steve came over and had stiffed somebody. And what I didn't use stiff, but did not pay um, one of the manufacturers in Taichung and word has got around. And I said, well, that's my brother's name is Steve. It's a very common name. But there was a Steve that didn't pay somebody. So that's why he shut down the negotiations. Wow. <laughs> and some he, he ended up being a fantastic manufacturer, by the way. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> it's like saying Dave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, my God. Well, it's a good job you asked, because otherwise you would never have known, would you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> funny well awesome i mean that's this is like a master class on sourcing essentially and uh you know our, our listeners and even our members will be able to watch this and go okay some of these things that i 
kind of heard in training or kind of heard you guys talk about before starting to really fall into place because Norm says it in a different way or mentioned it in a, in a more clear context. You know, it's always, it's always a little nuggets that no matter how you hear it, how many times you hear it, it's, you know, this time that's, that's the better way to hear it. Um, so we definitely want to thank you, Norm, the beard guy. I'm going to be, I'm going to be the, the lesser beard guy from now on. Uh, Norm, the beard guy for our great insights on how to reduce, you know, sourcing costs all over. So guys, if you like what you heard today, please be sure to hit the subscribe button and share our podcast with friends who might get value out of it as well. Also, if you're looking to get some absolutely free training on what it takes to have a successful business to fuel your lifestyle, head to www.goteamreal.com to download our free training today. And Norm, just so you know, I think we'll put a link to obviously, you know, anything that, that you would like, but how would they reach to, out to you to get in contact if they're looking to get some insight on sourcing? The, the easiest way to get a hold of me is norm at AMZ, like Amazon, amz.club.com. Okay. Um, the the uh, sourcing company is called Honu, H-O-N-U, worldwide.com. And if your listeners uh, would like, just to show you the difference, um, there is a repricer. So if you've got a price from Alibaba, not if you're already in ex- like working with a supplier because th- those prices are already being negotiated, but if you've got something fresh from Alibaba and you want us to just do a quick repricing for you, uh, we're, we can provide a 50% off of that cost. And if we don't beat the price, you don't pay. So we usually charge $4.97 for that. It's 50% of that. And uh, we have an HTS checker as well. So you can just go in, check your HTS code, see if you're, you know, uh, working uh, at optimal uh, at optimal tax rate. Nice. But um, yeah. So Percy so, doesn't have to just sit there and scan the code herself. for the <laughs> There we go. <laughs> yeah. So reprice is probably the best thing for your audience. But if they do need anything, you know, we're more than happy to help. Fantastic. And we'll put those into the show notes, guys. So thank you again, Norm. Thank you so much for being here and sharing all your knowledge. And guys, we'll see you next week for the next Print to Profit episode. And as always, we wish you the best for you and your business. Bye for now. All right. Thanks. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you would like to get more information about selling on Amazon, head to goteamreal.com for some absolutely free training.